Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your enthusiasm and your excitement in our life as you send that to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just ask this morning, Lord, as we speak your words, that your heart would flow through my lips to your people, your church, your sons and your daughters, that God would lift us up and elevate our faith, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning. The Lord gave me a word, and the word was expectation. And I'd like to speak to you for a few moments on the subject, I am expecting. I am expecting. I liken this sermon to a woman that's with child. And it's a nine-month journey, for the most part, until she gives birth. And during that time of pregnancy, there are some ups and downs. There are some valleys and there are some mountains. And at one point, for some women, toward the end, when they are actually in labor, they will turn to their husbands and say, get my coat, we're leaving. Even though she's about to give birth, it's called the flight to escape in pregnancy. It happens to some women. They begin to flail, they begin to get agitated, and they look to leave the situation that they're in. I liken that to the Christian experience. I'm expecting. I'm expecting God to do good things in my life and in yours. But I also realize as a woman who's with child, there's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some lows and some highs. And there's going to be some times when we even express, maybe not verbally or outwardly, but in our thoughts, Lord, this is too much. I feel like escaping. And sometimes we even say to ourselves, heaven looks real good today. I don't know if you've ever been there. I know I have. So let's keep it frank and let's keep it honest. I can't explain why some people aren't healed. I've seen many healings in the ministry that God has performed. I've been part of those healings. I've seen miracles. And I can't explain why some are and some aren't. And coming home the other day, and I was praying hard for Sister Paulette for a few days, I said to the Lord, why don't we see more healings? Why don't we see more miracles? I said, I want to know. I know it's not your fault. But I said to God, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? Because it's never God's fault. It's never. I'm never going to get into a controversy with God why or where. Not going to go there. Because I know his word is true. And I know when someone passes and there's others that are sick. Pastor, how can you preach a message on I am expecting? Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says this. This is what God said. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end, which means a successful end. Thoughts. Let's talk about this for a moment. What are those thoughts that God has toward me and you? It means this. What God devises and plans for my life. From the moment I'm conceived, there's a plan for my life. God has an agenda. My purpose and my destiny is wrapped up in the heart of God. It's what He creates and invents for my life as I journey through this thing called life. God thinks and he calculates very carefully what his next move is going to be in my life. And he wants to impute that to me. He regards me daily. He's mindful of me. And he says, I've got good thoughts towards you and not evil. What thoughts? He said thoughts of peace. And that word peace means to be complete. It means soundness in body, soul, and spirit. It means to be in a covenant of peace with God, shalom. 
It means my safety, my health, my prosperity. That word peace means quietness and tranquility. It means contentment. It means also friendship of human relationships that God is interested in in my life. The word peace means to make me whole and to place me in rest. So he speaks and he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Some people believe that God sends evil to us. That word evil means wickedness, mischief. My God isn't a mischievous God. The word evil means hurt. It means trouble. It means malignant, unpleasant situations. It means adversity. God is not bringing adversity to my life. He allows it. But there's an enemy to my soul. And some people attribute the evil that the enemy of my soul inflicts on me or tries to. They try to attribute that to God. And that's where people get into a controversy with God. They say, well, why did God allow that? Why did God do that? He didn't do that. That word evil means giving pain, unhappiness, and misery to people. That's not God's plan for my life. That's not God's good thoughts toward me. It means distress and injury, calamity. It means to be displeasing. This is not the God that I know. He says what? To give you an expected end. What does it mean to give? To bestow upon me. To grant unto me and to you. To ascribe to us. To dedicate to us. To pay wages. To commit to us. To trust in us. To provide for us. To designate to each and every one of us specific plan that God has in place since you've been conceived. And so many people lose the idea of destiny in their life. So many people lose the idea of God knocking on our door daily and presently. Because there's a plan today. There's good thoughts that God has today for me. There's good thoughts that lead to peace today. Oh yes, the evil one wants to come and give me his plan and give me his thoughts. But God is always in the process of designating to me his plan that will override the plan of the enemy. To give me what? An expected end, which means a successful end. It means not only for me, but for my posterity. That God wants to reward me in this life with success. That God wants me to look forward to something. That's what the word means, an expected end. Something to look forward to. If you hear people speak, it's always down. Negative. It's always somewhere below. And we're not speaking as we're to expect from God. Oh, Roberts used to say, something good is going to happen to me today. Something good. But you know what we are? We have accustomed ourselves to think something bad is going to happen today. Especially if we've had a a couple of good days and we're saying, oh, when's the shoe going to drop? And we walk around with that thought process. We have to ask ourselves, how did you think this week? If you can replay your thoughts... How did you really think this week? Did you think about the word of God? Did we stand on the word of God? (laughs) Or was our thinking negative? Were we taken captive by the evil thoughts of the enemy? Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 28 says this, The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. What is that hope? The hope of the righteous is our lightheartedness. It means lacking due concern. All the worry that we do each week does not add one hair to our head. That word hope means casual, free from care or worry, characterized by joyful exuberance, jovial, jovial, merry. I'm not saying we're supposed to walk around with elf boots and bells on our head all day. But if we're going to be eternally miserable, we're going to be contagious. Because the word does say, 
the hope of the righteous shall be gladness. In the message version, Proverbs 10.28 says this, the aspirations, the hopes, the expectations of good people end in celebration. And the ambitions of bad people crash. Do we really celebrate? Do we really praise God and say, God, you woke me up this morning? Do we really have the gratitude and the thanksgiving toward God that we should have? So many people are talking about what they don't have. What I don't have. Instead of praising God for what we do have, you might get what you don't have when you start praising God for what you do have. Psalm 62 verse 5, one of my favorite verses says this, My soul, talk to yourself sometimes. Wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. You know what that word expectation in Hebrew means in that verse? It means a cord, a rope as an attachment. Something you can hold on to. A hope, something I long for, something that I wait for eagerly. I'm looking for an expected end. I'm looking for a successful outcome. Hold on to the rope. That's my hope this morning. Holding on to my faith in God and His Word is my hope this morning. And the enemy wants to waylay us. And the enemy wants to get us off track. To make us think that God's word isn't working today. That God is not in control of this entire universe. And that God is not in control of our individual lives. Charles Spurgeon, from his Treasury of David, a commentary, and I quote concerning Psalm 62 and verse 5. He reads and he says this, My expectation is from him. In an account of the voyage of some of the early missionaries, who left Hermansburg for South Africa, is the following incident. After a long calm, a brother prayed thus to the Lord for favoring wind. He said, Lord, thou givest them that fear thee the desires of their heart, and thus help them. Help us now that we may no longer be becalmed upon the sea. Help us on our journey who ride on the wings of the wind. He's praying for wind. He was so joyful over this word of the Lord that he rose up and said in his heart, Now I have already that for which I prayed. Now I have already that which I have prayed. Half, listen to what happened. After the prayer, one of the crew stepped over to the helmsman, the captain, and said, half mocking, half in earnest, So, shall we have wind? Did you hear the prayer? Question. It does not look very like it. So he said, and a half an hour after there came a so strong a blast that the waves broke over the ship. The prayer was answered because the man of God said, Lord, we need wind. But there's always someone in the background that wants to mock us. There's always someone in the background that wants to be an obstacle. There's always someone in the background that wants to be a stumbling block. There's always somebody with a critical spirit in the background that wants to stop the flow of God and the good thoughts that God has that we could have an expected end. Can you say amen this morning? How much wisdom do we pray for? How much wisdom do we expect from God? Listen to what the word of God says. He says in Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Now you would think if wisdom is the principal thing, that more people would go to God expecting His wisdom. It says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. God's good thoughts are His wisdom. But how many people wake up in the morning and say, God, give me your wisdom? Oh, we talk a lot. There's a lot of voices. There's voices everywhere. There's opinions about everything everywhere. There's always people sitting around a table somewhere with an opinion. There's always a sports commentator with an opinion about another human being and how they play basketball. There's always an opinion about politics and economy. Or he said or she said. But how many people actually sit down and say, God, I want those good thoughts that Jeremiah talked about in Jeremiah 29 and 11. Proverbs 24, 14 says this, So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. 
God, I want your thoughts. I want the knowledge of wisdom. And when thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward and thy expectation shall not be cut off. My expectation is linked to God's thoughts. I said my expectation and my hope is linked to God's thoughts. Proverbs 24 and verse 14, the same verse in ESV version says, Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. God's thoughts gives me a successful future. Proverbs 24, 14 in the message version says this, Likewise, knowledge and wisdom for your soul. Get that and your future secured. Your hope is on solid rock. When we don't seek the wisdom and the thoughts of God, our hope is not on a solid rock. Our hope is on a house built on sand. And so many people are building their house on sand. Even in the Christian church. Can you really have a spiritual conversation with people in the Christian church? Can iron sharpen iron anymore in the Christian church? Can we talk about something other than surface conversation? Can we get into the deep things of God and the deep thoughts of God? Can we get to the place where we say to one another, what's God saying to you in your spirit? So that I can be blessed by what thoughts God is giving you. And then you say to me, what thoughts are God giving you? So that you can be blessed in your spirit. And then there's a bridge that's between our hearts that we share the wisdom of God, which is the principal thing. The most important thing that God wants to give us is His wisdom. Because His wisdom is His thoughts. Hmm. Paul said to the church, expect from God whether in life or in death. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. Expectation. In the Greek, that word means watching with intense and earnest and anticipation. This refers to our joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. But how many Christians are really going around with intense and earnest anticipation of what God's going to do? How many people wake up in the morning and say, Okay, God, what are we doing today together? Who are we going to meet? Who's going to come into my sheepfold? Where are you sending me to speak to some human being about Christ or edify some Christian that might be going through a valley experience? How many people actually wake up and get out of bed and ask God for his thoughts, his knowledge, his wisdom, his understanding that we can share with other human beings? Listen, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that there's many voices in the earth right now. And that one voice is going to shake the earth one more time in the heavens. That voice is trying to shake the church. I read today, I read the other day, and I shared it with a sister this morning. And the author was saying this, and I'm not quoting verbatim, but this is the gist of it. There's a church on every street corner, so to speak, in America. People pass by all the time. But how come the church has not been able to influence America? in a Christian moral way that our nation has become deplorable and depraved. A nation that hardly believes in God anymore. People pass by all the time. But how influential are we? People say, oh, put out a sign. Put an ad in the paper. Advertise. I don't see where the early church ever put out a sign. I don't see where the early church ever advertised. I'm not saying that's not good. The early church never had a microphone. But the early church in those days turned the then known world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they shared the thoughts that God gave them with other people and praise God in the name of Jesus Christ. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to the Lord. We have opinions. 
We have a lot of opinions. But do we have God's thoughts that we're sharing with other people? The message version of Philippians 1.20 says this. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. Listen to Paul. This guy's been in jail. He's been beaten. Been hungered. Been on boats that broke up. Been whipped. Beat. Left for dead. But Paul writes to the church at Philippi, I can hardly wait to continue on my course. They must have said, Paul, are you out of your mind? You spend more time in jail. You get beat. He says, I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Get a splinter in our fingernail and we're ready to crawl into a hole somewhere. We're ready to die. We're ready to tell the world I got a splinter. And it hurts. Paul's saying, bring it on. I'm excited. I'm excited about Jesus. He's in jail. And he flips it. And he says, thank you for the opportunity that I can preach to prisoners and bring them to Jesus. Are we expecting the wrong thing? Have we gotten so decadent in our thinking, even as Christians, that we think of the wrong thing? Listen, Acts 28 and verse 1 says this. And when they were escaped, they knew, then they, this is when the boat broke to pieces. This is when they were holding on to a piece of wood in the water to get to, to the land. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people hmm, showed us no little kindness. <laughs> they were pretty rough folks. What are you doing on our island? For they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper, a scorpion, out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Look at verse 4. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer. You see how quick we are to judge? We're so quick to come to a conclusion. We're presumptuous and we assume and suppose They said, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffered not to live. He must have done something really bad that somebody's getting even with him. That's what they're saying. They're expecting Paul to die instantaneously because they consider that he's done some evil. But look at verse 5. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. (laughs) What? You see, for some people, that would have become a book, a movie, a video, and we would have had a fundraiser on television. Hey, come on, man. I got a special fund because Paul, even though he shook off the beast, he's got a little bite on his arm there and we need to get some medical supplies to him. Can you donate? And let us send you this video. If you give us $100, we'll send it in the mail to you. And we have a book. And if we have a tape. And we have part of the boat that was broken that Paul was on when he came to the shore. We'll send you a splinter of wood. That's what we've turned Christianity into. Into a joke, into a business. Into public relations. And what happened? Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm to come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. They were expecting him to die. Just like us, we're always expecting the shoe to drop. Expecting the wrong thing. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. 
who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. He wasn't caring about prayer. He wasn't caring about God's thoughts. He was only hoping for one thin dime to be placed into his cup. Because he was expecting the wrong thing. I said he was expecting the wrong thing. Just like on the island of Melita, they expected Paul to die. But what happened? He said, Peter said, silver and gold have I none. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But there's no money in our pockets. But such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Peter and Pajama said, Hey, this is what we can give you. We can give you the thoughts of God. Don't give me opinions. Give me the word. Give me instruction. What about the expectation of the righteous? It's a whole different story. Here's a seemingly hopeless hopeless situation. But friends (laughs) intervened based on their faith and their expectation. Mark chapter 2 verse 1. And again, he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, packed house. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. What does that mean? Four friends decided, we have to do something for our friend. He needs an intervention. And they got some thoughts. And their thoughts were, if we bring him to Jesus, if we bring him to Jesus, wow, four people agreeing to bring him to Jesus. Can you imagine four people agreeing on something? Four people agreeing on something? Something that is going to ask for a miracle? So what did they do? They brought this man man on a bed. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they couldn't get in the door, these men become creative. Oh, most people would have said, it's not God's will. We're wasting our time. We must have missed God. We didn't get the thoughts of God. We didn't get the good success from God. And, 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 and if this had it to happen, God would have allowed us to go through the door. If God wanted me to be healed, God would have made room so I could get through the front door. If they stopped there, that man would have not been forgiven and that man would have not have been healed. But they didn't stop there. They used their five steps of decision making. (laughs) See the situation clearly. Whoa. I can't get through the front door. What's my next possibility? What do they say? What's my option? They uncovered the roof where he was. Are you kidding me? They uncovered the roof and when they had broken it up, they let him down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. They said, hey, mister, we have not come this far to give up and go home. Hallelujah. Even though the front door is closed and we can't get anything in there, praise God, we'll go up on the roof and we'll break the roof and we'll lower you down. And what happened? Jesus said, what's it easier for me to do? Say your sins are forgiven or be healed and rise up in the name of Jesus Christ and be healed. What's easier? Those are friends. <laughs> I said, those are friends. There are people that go the extra mile. There are people that, that can be inconvenienced. There are people that can give up their schedule for the day and say, hey, God gave me some thoughts and this is what we need to do. 
How about Mark chapter 5, where the righteous expect something good to happen? Uh, Excuse me, Matthew chapter 9. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him. One crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I'm able to do this. The blind men came to the house where Jesus was. They're blind. Oh, Pastor, it's raining outside. It's fog. I saw two snowflakes this morning. There was three lions in the street. I, I don't think I can come this morning. There, there, there was at least three lions outside my house. These are blind men. They came to Jesus. And he said, believe ye that I'm able to do this. And they said, yea, Lord. What expectation of two blind men that found their way to Christ where he was. And Jesus basically said, do you think I believe that I can heal you? And they said, yay, yes. No explanation, no commentary, no DVD, no teaching, no seminar, no nothing. And then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus straightly charged them saying, see that no man know it. In Mark chapter 10 verse 46, they came to Jericho. And as Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was by the highway begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Wait a minute. Is God giving Bartimaeus some good thoughts here? Is God giving Bartimaeus some good Holy Ghost wisdom? (laughs) And many charged Bartimaeus saying that he should hold his peace. Shut up! Shut it! Be quiet! Why? I have a need. I'm blind. The Bible says he cried more, a great deal. And said, again, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Question. Let me go get some counseling on this. I heard there's a guy in Rochester giving a seminar on hypnosis. Maybe I should go there. I heard there's a medium that's going to be in Waterloo that could read my palm. Maybe I should go there. I'm a blind man. You see, you heard of Jesus. I said he heard of Jesus. What did he say? With expectation, the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Simple question, simple answer. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. What happened here? He had expectation that God was going to do something good. How about the lady with the issue of blood? One of my favorite characters in the Bible. Mark chapter 5 verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood, 12 years, 12 years, suffered many things of many physicians and spent all that she had and was none the better, but rather grew worse. Listen to what happened to her. Verse 27. Something clicked that day. Something happened on the inside of her. Something happens when you hear about Jesus. When she heard of Jesus... She came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. She expected God to do something. She expected healing. She expected a miracle. She expected after 12 years of being sick and being sick and tired of being sick and tired, she heard about Jesus. Huh. 
Jesus, before he died and rose again, he said to the disciples to expect a promise. He tried to explain to them what this promise was like you tell a child you're going to take him to the park on a certain day. And he's expecting you to make good on your promise. He's going to ask you every day, is it time? Is it that day? An hour later, two hours later, five hours later, he's going to ask you, is it time to go to the park, Mom? Dad, is it time to go to the park? And Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to expect a promise. He said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Simple. And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter that, you may, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. What's Jesus saying to the disciples? I'm sure they did not understand what he was saying. He was giving them good thoughts. He was giving them thoughts of peace and thoughts of comfort. He was giving them good Holy Ghost wisdom. He said in John 15 and 26, but when the comforter is come, he's saying, you're going to get something. It's not coming in the mail. The UPS truck is not bringing it. FedEx is not bringing it. This is coming directly from heaven. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, uh-oh, from where? The Father. Remember the story of John the Baptist? Remember the story of him uh, baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River and what happened? The heavens opened and the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son. So they understood heaven. They understood that, whoa, something's going to come from the sky. What does it say? For even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 16 and 7 says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. Wait a minute now. Are you saying there's going to be a replacement? Are you saying you're going where all of our hope and expectation is in you right now? You're telling us about a cross. You're telling us about death. You're talking about this temple in three days. You're going to, it's going to break down. You're going to build it back up. What are you talking about? And now you're telling us about this promise that's going to come from the sky. He said, I tell you the truth. It's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. This is a promise. I'm going to take you to the park, son. I'm going to take you to the ice cream stand and get your ice cream. Jesus is saying this is a promise. The church does not want to receive the promise for the most part in America. They don't want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit because they're satisfied. They don't expect anything more than they have after the four spiritual laws and the Roman road and Romans to get saved. I'm saved. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And yes, I ate three meals yesterday and I'm probably going to eat three meals today. Because yesterday's meals is not going to help me survive today. I drank water yesterday, but I better drink some water today. Because yesterday's water is not going to sustain me for today. But I prayed the prayer, preacher. Wonderful. So that's all you're expecting. And then we have our arguments with God and say, I know better. I don't need that promise. And that's like telling a kid, that you have promised candy, ice cream, and the park, and that kid's going to turn around to you and say, Dad, I understand. I don't need the candy. I don't need the ice cream. And I don't need the park. Are you kidding me? He's going to fight tooth and nail. He's going to drive you to the psych ward until you take him to the park. Because when you make a promise... You keep it. You see, the comforter wants to comfort us. And who doesn't need comfort in the day that we're living? Who doesn't need the comfort of God? Who doesn't need the consolation of God? 
in the day that we're living? Who doesn't need reassurance? Who doesn't need being calm? Who doesn't need encouragement? Who doesn't need to be soothed in their spirit? So Jesus dies on the cross. He rises again. And what does he tell them in Acts chapter 1 verse 4? And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until you get the present and the promise from heaven. That's the problem with a lot of missionaries. They go without the power of God, with great expectation and zeal. But what they're doing is going to the used car lot and buying a car that doesn't have a powerful motor. They have some power, but they have stopped short because their denomination has told them, don't cross that line because they're heretics. Mm -hmm. That power of the Holy Spirit, that Acts chapter 2 experience, that's not for today. Matter of fact, don't expect any of that in your life. Just go. So we're sending people out without breaks, without power, without wisdom, and without the expectation of the promise of the Holy Spirit from heaven. What did Jesus say? Don't depart from Jerusalem until... But wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Were not these people Christians? Of course they were. They walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They, they, they casted out devils. They, they healed people. Were they not Christians? Isn't that good enough, Pastor? Do we need more? Well, you got paid last week. Do you need another paycheck next week? I said you got paid last week, but do you really need a paycheck next week? You don't need one? You had heat in your house last week, do you really need heat this week? (laughs) Come on, let's talk about that. Do we really need it? (laughs) You're saying I can have more? I'm saying God wants to give you more. I'm saying God wants to pour out the power of the Holy Spirit on the church in America. That's what I'm saying. But we're not expecting it. Because we're saying that we're satisfied. And we're okay in our dumb thinking. It's stinking thinking. And we're stuck. And we're paralyzed emotionally and spiritually. Because we've comforted ourselves and said, I don't really need that. That's not what God wants to give me. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. You're special. When God said, carry. Because he said in verse 8 of Acts 1, but you shall receive power. Didn't they have power? Sure they had power. Look what they did in three and a half years with Jesus. He sent them out two by two. He sent the 70 out. What do you think they did? They came back rejoicing and said, even the devils respond to us. Of course they had power. But Jesus was saying, you're going to need some more power. You're going to need some more authority. You're going to need some more wisdom and some more thoughts. But the theologians get behind their pulpits. And they denounce Pentecost. They denounce the full gospel. They denounce the things that God wants to give them. And they write books and they get on television. And they get behind their pulpits and they speak heresy. And they call me a devil. Because they've got the monopoly. They've got all the cards and all the pieces to the game. A neat little package. And that's it. Let's not move outside that realm. Let's not move outside our thinking. Why do we need God's thoughts? What is he saying? But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And shall, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And what happened? The promise came from the sky. The promise came from heaven. 
Jesus had to go away, but he did not leave you comfortless. He said in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, thinking the same thing, speaking the same thing, believing the same thing, praying for the same thing. Something good is going to happen. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. People fight that doctrine so badly because they believe once full of chicken, always full of chicken. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is it that you're expecting? Are you expecting the scorpion or the viper to sting you and bite you? Are you expecting a thin dime and a tin cup? What are you expecting this morning? Defeat? Disappointment? Depression? I think I'll have a depression today. I think today's a good day for a depression. You see how gloomy it is out there? Today's a good day to just have a depression. I think I'll expect some discouragement today, some depression. I think today I'll feel sorry for myself. I think today I'll seek out some pity. I, 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 I just got to have this today. That's my expectation. That's it. Oh, how about our expectation being the thoughts of God? How about our expectation being the wisdom of God, which is the principal thing? What are you expecting? Disillusionment, maybe. Despair. What is it that we are expecting for our children? Because if we think this way, what do you think you're transmitting to your kids? Come on, man. If you're thinking this way, you mope around, and this is who you are, and they identify that, they're going to become you. Carbon copies. Clones. Instead of expecting the good thoughts from God... Are we missing the point? You see, Acts chapter 2, verse 39 says this, For the promise, what's the promise? The Holy Spirit, the power of God, the full. The promise is unto you, and to who? And to your children. That sounds like it's more than just the day of Pentecost. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, even in 2018. But we're not expecting it. And we're not expecting it for our kids. And we're sending them out to the cruel world unequipped, ill-equipped. I want a car with power. I want a car with power. As my father used to say, give me a cup of coffee that's high test. Give me high test. I want to know that I'm drinking coffee, not water. Not tree bark soaked overnight. Ask yourself, what is the promise? People are in such denial. What am I expecting? What should I be receiving? The Holy Spirit, which is the comforter. And all that God has for me. Our pastor said one time, he said, you know... I believe there's a gift room in heaven. And he said, there's a lot of packages on there with our name on it. And aren't we going to be surprised one of these days if we go into that room when we get up there and discover that was for me? Yeah. And that was for me? Yeah. And that was for me? Yeah. And that? Yeah. And that? Yeah. And that? Yeah. Well, how come I didn't get it? Because you never expected it. You never expected it. Listen, let me talk to you about Abraham for a few moments. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have after received an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. God said, go. He went. And by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Look at verse 10 now. 
You think Jacob was satisfied in living in a tent? You, you think Jacob was saying to himself, I just love living in a tent. I, I just love taking a shovel and going out into the backyard and going to the bathroom and covering it up. I, 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 just, I, I just want to do that for eternity. God, I, I don't need nothing. For he looked ooh, for a city mm, which had foundations mm, whose builder and maker is God. This is Abraham in the book of Genesis expecting something more than a hut, expecting something more than a tent. In the message version it says this, by an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. And when he had left, he, when he left, he had no idea where he was going. By an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him, lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did, Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. Oh, I want to tell you something, folks. He was expecting something, and I believe God gave him a vision of the pearly gates, and I believe God gave him a peek on the inside, and I believe he saw the lights of that city. Come on, my friend. He wasn't satisfied with a tent. Why should we be satisfied with a tent when God wants to give us more? Our theology talks us out of it. And we feel so good about ourselves. And that's really a spirit of pride that says to God, Jeremiah 29 and 11, hold your thoughts because they're not for me. Give them to Columbo. He seems to want your thoughts. I will take every thought that God wants to give me. I said I will take every thought that God wants to give me. Because I know that I'm in a fight for my life. Abraham was not satisfied. He was expecting something more from God. Is the church so satisfied that we no longer expect anything more from God? That we don't really push and press into the presence of God? Because we're busy. We got things to do. Things to go, people to see. should I need more, Pastor? I got a good job. I got good benefits. I got a retirement plan. I got health insurance. You might need God's thoughts one day. I said you might need God's thoughts one day. When the enemy of of your soul comes like a roaring lion, And you're not equipped to withstand the warfare and the oppression. Because he seeks whom he may devour. He's not playing. So why do we play Russian roulette? Why do we say, hey, I don't need that. When God says, you do. When God says, I had to go away to give you this. And how many people are rejecting it and they form their theology that says, that's not for me. Okay. Then maybe the rapture isn't for you either. Let me close. Are we waiting for and expecting the Lord? Is our hope and expectation in Him? Paul came to the church at Corinth and he spoke and he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he said, if, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. There's no hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, church. And we, and, and become the first fruits of them that slept. So Paul is saying to the church, listen. Some of you are kind of getting gloomy and depressing. 
Some of you are forgetting your heritage and your inheritance. The dead in Christ will rise. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. You see, they started to sorrow. They started not to believe in the resurrection. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Church got kind of gloomy. There's trials, tribulations, persecutions. Some would say, what's the use? What's the point? Some fell from grace. Paul came to the church at Galatians. So soon? You have fallen? You've lost your hope? You've lost your expectation? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the thoughts of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The coffin lids are going to open. The grass is going to be broken through. You're going to hear that sound of those old coffins that were put down with nails. The coffin lids are going to come open. Those old wooden coffins. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Woo! With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words expectation and hope in God that He will come and He will take care of us and He will give us good thoughts and He will give us an expected end. How many people are even talk about the second coming of Jesus anymore? How many sermons have you heard on the second coming of Christ in the church in the last 20 years? Because they're going to say like they did in the words where Peter spoke. They're going to say in the last day, so where is the promise of his coming, Pastor? You've been preaching that for 45 years. So when is he coming? You know who's asking that question? The church people. So where is the promise of his coming? Sinner people will tell you. Something's going on, Rev. There's something going on. What's going on? Tell me. What's the future? What's going on? Is it going to be World War III in Syria? Is Russia going to get involved? Tell me, Pastor. Tell me, Chaplain. Sin has come. They're shook up. But the church, we're good to go. Hey, man, I got my bag of potato chips. I got my six-pack of Pepsi. And football season's going to start soon. And my team is going to get a good draft pick, and I'm good to go. I'm not saying that's not nice. But whatever happened to the second coming of Jesus? Whatever happened to give our children the thought that Jesus is going to come back for them? And one day, in Christ, we all will be together to be with the Lord for eternity. Think about that. Think about what we should be instilling in the minds and hearts of our children as they grow up in this grievous world, perilous times. What should we be saying to them? But you know what? We can't give them any thoughts from God until we get some thoughts from God that our expectation and our hope is with Him. So that we can transfer that message to our children. Mm -hmm. I am expecting, like a woman expects a child to be born. I'm expecting that God is going to do something in my life. Still, even though I'm in old age, God, I want more of the promise. I want more of your thoughts. 
and I want to have an expected end. And that doesn't mean my demise. It means my success while I'm working with God. Am I going to have labor pains? Am I going to have a desire sometimes to flight to escape? Am I going to have valleys and low moments? Yes. But it's the job of the church to build me back up and say, Pastor, we got your back. And it's my job to build you up and say, and I've got your back. God bless you as you've listened.